This is World Religions Explained. I am your host, Kyle Cottle. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again today. Um, <clears throat> I just want to again remind you, if, if all possible, can you take two seconds to rate this podcast five star? It really helps. Gets it out to more people. <clears throat> also, I started just started a new podcast called the Unofficial IMDb Top Movie Review. <clears throat> Me and my cousin Joe, we talk about different movies, uh, really good movies. And it's probably more fun than this podcast. This podcast is about learning, learning interesting stuff, but <clears throat> that podcast a little more banner, a little more fun. So <clears throat> here we go. Today, <clears throat> we talk about Jainism. Jainism is another break off of Hinduism, just like Buddhism was. <clears throat> They believe in the existence of gods, but not like the all-powerful ones that many of the Western religions believe in. <clears throat> they believe in gods that were once like you and me. Like Hinduism and Buddhism, Jainism believes in the concept of rebirth. <clears throat> this means that eventually anybody who reaches their highest potential can become a god. This is because all souls are eternal. These gods don't have anything to do with humans, though. They have reached a point of omniscience. That means that they know all, or at least they know everything it, gain, it, it takes to gain eternal peace. <clears throat> but they do not create or destroy, just like the Western gods that create the earth, create the universe, destroy things. These gods do not do that. <clears throat> they just know all. The universe is its own entity. There is no original god that created it. They believe this because they don't believe that a god would randomly decide to create a universe out of nowhere. <clears throat> the question then comes, do they worship these gods? Do Jains worship the gods? The answer is yes, but not as some may think. They more show respect to these gods who have reached that everlasting peace and worship them as a reminder of what they need to do daily to reach that point. <clears throat> they obviously aren't worship them, worshiping them out of fear like other religions do or worshiping them by trying to get in their good graces to try to make it into heaven. <clears throat> their worship is strictly for personal reasons to help themselves. <clears throat> it is believed that there are some people called the <clears throat> Tirtankara that were born into royalty but chose to live a life of meditation and being ascetic. And if you remember from the Buddhist podcast, that an ascetic is someone who puts themselves through much pain and grief to be able to overcome it. <clears throat> These Tirtankara ended up be, uh, reaching godhood and are who the Jains revere as their gods. <clears throat> the 24th, 24th and the last of the Tirtankara was named Lord Mahavir. He was born in 599 BC in India. <clears throat> as with the other Tirtankara, Sorry, that word's so hard for me. I don't know why. Tirtankara. He was born a prince and left his life of royalty at the age of 30 to become a monk. <clears throat> he did all that he could to overcome the suffering by meditating for 12 and a half years. He didn't eat much and he tried his best to not harm any living thing. He eventually reached this enlightenment that he was looking for. <clears throat> After he reached this enlightenment, he spent the next 30 years teaching others how to overcome this pain and suffering in life which would break them from this continuous life and death cycle. If you listen to my podcast on Buddhism, you will realize that this sounds a lot like the Buddha story. <clears throat> the difference is that the Buddha was the founder of his philosophy, 
while Mahavir <clears throat> didn't found Jainism. He was more just the one who made it prominent. His followers wrote down his teachings in what was called the Agam Sutras. <clears throat> These were originally passed down orally, but many were eventually lost, and over a thousand years later they were brought back, but not all Jains found them to be authentic. A few hundred years after the death of Mahavir, schisms started happening within the religion. <clears throat> so Jainism is very big into not harming any living thing. That's probably their biggest, uh, their biggest belief, actually, <clears throat> from all the study I've done. And this is because all living things are important and have a soul. Through rebirth, we could all potentially become any living thing possible. Jains are known to be strict vegetarians. <clears throat> they will not eat any animals. They will also not eat anything that could harm an animal in the process. So basically, it sounds like they're actually more vegan. <clears throat> they can eat fruits and vegetables, but they don't believe in pulling out the entire root of a plant because that would kill it. <clears throat> Some even go as far as to sweep as they walk in order to not disturb potential living things in their way. Fortunately, in, in Jainism, there are nuns and monks which follow these things very strictly and more common Jains, which have um, a little more leeway. <clears throat> Jainism has five great vows. <clears throat> the first is nonviolence, which is not harming any living being, just as I've been talking about. <clears throat> Jains are also very big on the difference between living and non-living entities. And we'll get into that. <clears throat> the next is truthfulness. This means not to lie but also don't tell truth to hurt others. The next is no stealing, which is pretty obvious. Don't take things that aren't yours. <clears throat> next is chastity. This means to abstain from sexual endeavors. That is only for those who are trying to live the higher law though. This chastity also allows for those who are married to have sex with their partner, but nobody else. <clears throat> Last is non-attachment. This means to not get too attached to those things that you have, which even includes people like family and friends. This because they will inevitably die or be gone one day, so you can't depend on them for your happiness. <clears throat> there are also 12 limited vows for those who aren't as hardcore in their beliefs. So the non-monks and nuns. <clears throat> this allows for some leeway for those who want to live a more quote-unquote normal life. <clears throat> so how do we liber liberate ourselves fully? <clears throat> well, there are three steps. First is having the right perception. This means to throw away superstitions and see life as it really is. <clears throat> this is done by analyzing your own life, listening to the words of the Tirtankaras, and reading holy texts, which are known as the Agams. <clears throat> so just like many religions that have many superstitions in them, and they're mystic, a lot of mysticism, they don't believe in that. They believe in analyzing yourself and find out what's right. Don't just believe people telling you, hey, if you step on a crack, you're going to break your mother's back, right? <clears throat> the second step in this to reach <clears throat> liberation is to have the right knowledge. This means to know the truth of reality and understand the universe's substances, which consist of soul, matter, motion, rest, space, and time. So remember, out of these things, matter are living things. But there are non-living things, as I talked about before, like space is non-living, or motion is non-living. There are things that are not living, <clears throat> and they are very big into that. The third step is to have the right conduct. This means to follow the five great vows, as I previously mentioned. 
So remember the five great vows about chastity, <clears throat> no lying, no hurting others. <clears throat> and Jains are also tolerant of other religions. <clears throat> they understand that not everyone is on the same spiritual level and can find truth in other paths. They don't hold everyone to a universal standard at the moment. <clears throat> the hope is to progress in this life so that in your next life, you are in a better position. <clears throat> to progress, you must get rid of bad karma. <clears throat> Jains, be Jains believe that karma are physical things, so that and they are so small that you can't see. So kind of like atoms. <clears throat> and this karma attaches to you. And because of this, a major goal in life is to rid yourself of this karma. Just like Hindus and Buddhists believe, karma is what follows you from one life to another, depending on your actions in this life. <clears throat> the worse you do now, the more karma that attaches to you. The better you do, the more you get rid of. A person's actions aren't as problematic as their intentions behind those actions, though. <clears throat> this is how you accumulate karma. So be careful with your thoughts, because those are what cause the bad actions. <clears throat> there are 12 reflections in Jainism which help us reflect on our thoughts and ourselves so that we abstain from making bad decisions. <clears throat> Number one is impermanence of the world, which means that everything eventually changes and transforms. Nothing will ever stay the same. <clears throat> People get old, things get destroyed. Number two, <clears throat> that no one provides protection. This means that you are your only protection. No one or nothing can save you from the endless death cycle other than you living a right life. <clears throat> Number three is that there is no permanent relationship. Because birth and death, relationships change forever. This idea helps with detachment. Number four is solitude of the soul. The body is just the medium for the soul. The soul is what attracts and repels karma. <clears throat> Number five is separate separateness. The soul is a separate entity from all things. It just uses things for specific purposes, but isn't part of them. Again, just like the soul uses the body as a medium, but it is not actually part of it. We eventually want to get rid of it. Number six is the body being impure. As I just said, our bodies are imperfect and impure, and eventually we rid ourselves of this medium and just have a pure soul. <clears throat> Number seven is influx of karma. This means to understand the actions have consequences and to try to avoid bad consequences. Number eight is stopping the influx of karma. <clears throat> this means to avoid bad things so you don't get karma. Number nine, shedding karma. This means get rid of karma that is already attached to you because of bad actions done. Number 10 is transitory of universe. This is understanding the true nature of the universe and how there will be continuous creation and destruction. <clears throat> Number 11 is not being able to attain the right knowledge or conduct. It seems impossible to understand all of the mysteries of the universe, but the journey helps us push through these hard times and put an effort to understand. Last is... <clears throat> is not finding the right preceptor, scripture, or religion. False ones of any of these preceptors, scripture, religions will bring misery, while true ones will bring happiness and peace. <clears throat> All right, that was 12 reflections. So now, Jains actually believe in a sort of heaven and hell, although they aren't eternal. <clears throat> if you accumulate too much karma because of your bad actions, you go to Naraka. This is Jainism hell. <clears throat> there are seven layers of it, depending on how bad you were. And you can be there for billions of years, potentially, depending on how much karma you need to get rid of to satisfy your soul. Satisfy your soul. 
On the opposite side, there is a heaven-type place. <clears throat> the people who make it there consider sorts of gods, but haven't completely liberated themselves from all their attachments. Just like hell, people will live in this heavenly place for a long time, while their karma is satisfied. After this, they'll go back to earth and live. The people who live in this heaven are called devas. Now reaching complete enlightenment is the only way to reach the very top of heaven. <clears throat> Those who reach this state are called arahants. Arahants are separated into two kinds of gods. The first are the, my favorite word, Tirtankara. We talk about them at the beginning. <clears throat> They're basically teacher gods. They are the ones who teach us how to reach the state. They actually have a special type of karma which allows them to be this type of god. So, sorry, we... None of us uh, have that type of karma. But the other kind of god there is are the Siddhas. These are just those who reach enlightenment, but just remain there in a state of peace and bliss. <clears throat> so in a sense, there is an eternal heaven. But this heaven isn't so much like the other one to where you just spend time there, attached to things. That's like the earth. This heaven is more of something that we can't even comprehend. <clears throat> and the Hindus and his branches believe in an eternal cycle. So this, uh, which is Jainism, Buddhism, Hinduism, <clears throat> and every soul will get a chance to reach the ultimate goal. And they, they will have eternal chances. They will have a continuous amount of chances over and over through billions, trillions, however many years it takes. So in Jainism, gods aren't there to create or destroy, but mainly for us to see an example of what we should be striving towards. It is our responsibility to learn how to get there. <clears throat> so thank you for listening. Again, please rate my podcast, listen to my other new podcast, and I hope you enjoyed because Jainism isn't a super popular religion uh, around certain parts, at least where I live. So I hope you have a good rest of the day, and I'll see you next time.